Hey everyone, it's James Baca and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. Nearly 30,000 amazing followers on social media. We've got 22,000 plus at Notorious Banker on TikTok, at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, um, 3,200 plus. It's going down every day with everyone leaving the service. We'll get to that in a little bit. And 4,200 plus on Instagram at Notorious Banker. I am the author of a book, High Risk Transaction, The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. And I also am writing a book about Zell, which I promise you will come out soon, also to be made available on paperback and Kindle format on Amazon. Guys, thank you so very much for your love and support. I do appreciate it. If you've listened to all nearly 200 of these podcasts, you'll notice that my voice is a little bit different right now. <clears throat> While I've been really sick the last two weeks, I believe I got the C word. I believe I got COVID, and it's it wasn't fun. Funny enough, my wife went to Washington, D.C. on a vacation, and I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to knock out some podcasts. I'm going to read Emily Flitter's book and do a whole bunch of podcasts about that. I'm going to do a lot of social media stuff. I'm going to make sure the Notorious Banker is up and ready to go for the year 2023, our fifth anniversary. But yeah, I caught COVID. Um, my wife went to um, her hometown to go help with the charity function over there. And she shook a lot of hands, met a lot of people, gave a lot of hugs to people that she knew. And one of them had um, <clears throat> some germs. <laughs> and needless to say that they were passed on to me. Three days later, I got sick. She was on her way to D.C. I dropped her off sick as a dog at the airport in El Paso, Texas. Came home and just wallowed in misery for several days. Tons of mucinex, tons of other medications. Um, airborne, um, tons of hot cocoa and coffee. It, it, it was just a ridiculous couple of weeks. Um since I last recorded this podcast, and I've been really wanting to record one. So here we are now. We're going to talk a little bit um, about a couple of things going on in the world. And it's just going to be a couple of quick hits because, as you could tell, my voice isn't what it normally is. But, you know, there's a lot going on <clears throat> in the social media world. One of the topics we're going to talk about today is Twitter. And, my God, you know, I've lost over 100 followers on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. And it's because... People are ditching the service because of Elon Musk. And I understand that. I get that. I don't necessarily agree with ditching a service because you don't like someone. I'm sure there's a lot of people that you just would despise in real life that um, run a lot of the companies that you use. So I, I get a little frustrated with that. I don't understand that part of it. But it has been a challenge for yours truly on social media. And we'll talk about that in one of the segments here. But... With Thanksgiving coming up today, it's um it's past midnight on Thanksgiving Day as I recorded this. I can tell you that, you know, I've been trying to take it easy the last week, especially since I was sick. Just trying to make sure that I can do the best for myself in any way that I can. And a lot of the times I wasn't being crazy socially active on Twitter and TikTok and whatnot. So I've taken a little bit of sabbatical from that the last 10 days or so while I heal up and I can tell you, while I'm not 100% with the voice, I am 100% in spirit and in energy. And I'm raring to go to start kicking things off uh, for the holiday season and going into the new year for my project, The Notorious Banker, which includes my Zell book, by the way. In this podcast, I'm just going to have a couple of commentaries. I'm going to talk about um, the struggles with Twitter <clears throat> and social media as a whole in the last few weeks for The Notorious Banker, yours truly. Then I'm going to have a little commentary about Wells Fargo offering... Um, a payday-style loan similar to what Bank of America is offering that dropped last week. And I wanted to touch base on that because while I think that it can help some people, it's not a beneficial product to a lot of people who don't have good credit. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll get to that. You know, I'll get to why. it. You know, Wells Fargo makes it sound like it's a great gesture that they're doing uh, for the consumers. But in reality... It's it's a credit card without calling it a credit card, and it's only for those people who are adequately qualified. Then I'm briefly going to touch base on the SBF, FTX, BS. Um, I'm not a big crypto person, as you know. I, I've told you I've had my doubts many, many times over the years about what's going on. It just seems like as a salesperson, yours truly, everyone's trying to sell me on something, and as a salesperson who... Had to hard sell people for years. You can tell when someone's totally genuine about it. Or you can tell when someone's trying to lead you down a path full of bumpy roads and cliffs. And I just felt like that was that. 
It's weird how they became a patch on Major League Baseball umpire jerseys. It's weird how they spent tens of millions of dollars to rename one of the most prominent arenas in NBA. And um, that name is coming down right now. And to see Tom Brady, Larry David, Giselle, to, to see all these people, you know, get behind this guy who has inevitably probably stolen tens of billions of dollars from people, um, I have to touch base on it because... There's a couple of there's a couple of articles out there about people who got bilked um, by SBF and FTX where they couldn't withdraw their money and for all intents and purposes it's lost and I feel I sympathize for those people and I could tell you that you know Bank of America fraud Wells Fargo Zelle fraud all these things where people lose their money I sympathize for those people too because I know it sucks to lose a wallet it sucks to lose thousands of dollars out of your account but whenever you dive into something. And you went in there with the expectation of wanting to make millions of dollars. And that was your goal. Let's not kid ourselves. That wasn't a, well, I'm just going to park this here for a little bit just to keep it, you know, to keep it fluid. And then I'm going to move it here. And then I might go on a vacation. No, you wanted to drop a, you know, a couple thousand in there, see if it could turn into a couple million. Everyone wanted to do that. Yours truly. Okay, so I'm going to talk about why I feel it's just a bit... Um, I don't care <laughs> as much as as the average person does about people losing a lot of money here in FTX. And I don't want to sound like an ogre, but at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't read the instruction manual and then wonder why things go wrong. So I'm going to get into that. But first, I'm going to talk about this Twitter nonsense. And I'm talking about the Twitter nonsense that I can't do my job the way that I wanted to. So please stick around. All right, everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. And might I add, I want to wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving and a great holiday season coming up. I'm recording this on Thanksgiving Day, and I wanted to post it. That way you have something to listen to during the holiday weekend while you're shopping and driving yourself crazy. Well, I can tell you that one thing that is driving me crazy is social media the last couple of weeks. Now, here's the thing. I've, I've talked about Elon Musk buying Twitter and everything in the past, and I told you it's it's frustrating for, for me since a lot of my business goes through Twitter, a lot of my business happens because of interactions that I have on Twitter and on social media. So the interesting thing about that, and this is the frustrating thing for me, is when Elon Musk bought Twitter and he said, hey, there's going to be changes, and he is very bombastic in what he does and how he does things. Um, all of a sudden, you get a lot of people who are like, I don't want to, you know, frequent this service that he owns. I'm going to leave. And they uninstall Twitter, never to be seen again. You know, there were a lot of people who left um, Twitter whenever President Trump got banned from Twitter a couple years ago. And uh, as, as funny as it sounds, there's a lot of people who followed me who were very upset about that happening where they left the service. And I lost a few hundred followers then, too. I can never catch a break. I can never gain traction with my followers because they're always leaving because of some um, person that is very polarizing either leaving the service or coming to town and the frustrating thing for, for me is I get that I get the symbolism I get the hey look I'm gonna do my part to silently protest what I think is a bunch of bs and I understand and respect that I really do but it doesn't make any sense to deprive yourself of something that you can't live without and maybe maybe I'm not as strong as the average person when it comes to stuff like this, but I live for Twitter, okay? When it was election day a few weeks ago, I love refreshing and seeing results and seeing perspectives from people that I care to, to read, you know, people who I care to follow on social media. Whenever there's basketball stuff going on, college basketball is up and running, I love to just see what's happening with my team, to see what's happening with our opponents, to kind of forecast what's going to happen in our season. I love seeing people's perspectives. And um, a couple of days ago, my favorite team, the New Mexico State Aggies, had a very serious incident where a man died um, at the hands of one of our players. And it's nothing to laugh about. It's frustrating. It's upsetting. And it's something that's just, just basically taken over my life the last four days, hoping and wondering that, my team wasn't going to be decimated and, you know, thinking about crime that's happening in my state because it happened 70 miles from where I was born. 
and you have all that but i was following it on twitter i found out about it on twitter twitter helped me piece together the story about what happened um to our player and what happened to where he fired a gun and took the life of another person in self-defense twitter helped me set all that up so twitter is a very precious asset to me whenever i got fired from bank of america one cold november day i decided to search bank of america on twitter just to see what people are talking about and i saw hundreds if not thousands of complaints about how shitty the bank service is things that i basically fell on my sword for on behalf of that company and said hey you know what I can bring a perspective as to what's going on uh, with that company on social media. I planted my flag. I set up a Twitter account. I said, hey, these are my stories. I'm going to tell you what's going on in the crazy world of banking. And people followed me. People like that. I've got several thousand people following my every word, listening to my stories, all these crazy stories that I have from 13 years of banking. So with um, Elon purchasing Twitter and taking over the reins, all the verification stuff and all that stuff is just so frustrating. People deciding to leave. I'm going to tell you right now, Twitter has not been fun. And it's not been fun because it just seems like, uh, you know, it, it seems like one of those kids movies wherever the parents are gone and then the kids are, you know, they're swinging on chandeliers and then they're, you know, eating pizza on the in the bathtub and stuff like that. And there's just a mess everywhere and there's dogs running around the house. You know those movies you watched as a kid. That's what Twitter feels like now and it's really, really frustrating. And I have nothing against the people who support Mr. Musk. And I have nothing against Mr. Musk one bit. Um, he's uh, the richest man in the world. He exerts a lot of influence. His money buys a lot of things. And as as much as it sucks, and it does suck. His money, his checkbook, and I'm sure he doesn't use checks that much anymore, um, pretty much allows him to do whatever the hell he wants. And we're just going to have to grin and bear it, sadly. But what happens is people who disagree with him just decide to ditch the service and make it about themselves. You know, like how a lot of people on social media always, you know, talk about, I'm leaving this group because this is this and this and this. And, you know, there's always people who say that same thing, like, this isn't an airport. You don't have to announce your departure. Just leave if you don't like it. But there's a lot of people who like to talk about leaving rather than just leave. And that messes up Twitter. That just gets people in sidetrack conversations where they're not talking about the things that bug them. And banking is one of them. Then you have the element where Bank of America was one of the people who helped back Elon Musk in the purchase of Twitter. So a lot of the conversations when I searched for Bank of America the last few months had been about, hey, Bank of America, why did you allow Elon Musk uh, the capability of being able to buy Twitter to do this, 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 that, and the other thing? And it's all hate on Bank of America, but it's not hate on their service. It's hate on the fact that they lent a billionaire billions of dollars from a billion-dollar company, and a lot of people don't like that. Well, that sucks for me because that's what all people are talking about, so a lot of the people screaming for help a lot of the times when I tell stories they get kind of lost in the ether because there's so many people fixated on the fact that why did you lend this guy money? And as a former bank manager who's not defending, like I said, any side on this, because there's no one really good to defend, to be honest with you. I'm like, it's none of your goddamn business. You know, if you wanted to borrow money from a bank and they approved you, I'm not going to ask you this, that, and the other thing. It's not my business. It's the bank's business. It's your business, but it's not mine. So don't make all this stuff about it yours and don't find that as a reason to hate Bank of America, okay? Because Bank of America is in the business of lending billionaires business. Yes, they do some horrible shit. They charge fees to poor people and this is something that I talk about all the time. But don't pretend you're a freedom fighter and you're thinking about everyone else vis-a-vis -vis the fact that they gave people, gave Elon Musk billions of dollars. That has nothing to do with you and honestly... You should focus on yourself because if you're having a bad experience at that bank, if you're having a bad experience at other banks, focus on that rather than focusing on on someone else's transaction. So that makes it nearly impossible to do my Bank of America magic on Twitter the last few weeks. And that's been the most frustrating thing because I've had um, not that many people um, interact with me on social media asking for help about what they need to do. And that just kind of makes things less fun for me. It makes things less fun to tell stories whenever I know no one's going to 
catch it because the algorithm is going to push that down and everyone who's ratioing people defending Elon Musk and Bank of America for lending him the money just means that those things are going to get more traction and then my original content is not going to get much. So I've had a hard time. I've had a hard time. And I've resorted to Facebook. Can you believe that there's a Bank of America Blows uh, message board there with 8,000 followers? And I introduced myself to them. And I'm like, well, I'm not ditching Twitter altogether. I'm just trying to broaden my horizons. I just wanted to say hello to everyone and tell everyone, hey, you know, I've been there. I've been a manager. If there's any way that I can guide you into help, I'm going to do that. I'm not asking for anything. I just want to make sure that you're okay. And, you know, the Facebook crowd's a little bit different. It's a little bit older. It's a little bit more gullible. And I just don't like that. And then TikTok is fine for entertainment stuff. It's really hard to do the kind of altruistic things that I want to do when it comes to customer service help on TikTok. And then Instagram's not good at all for that. So I'm really caught between a rock and a hard place here. I got my podcast. I got my, my Twitter account for now. And I got a lot of other things. But there's not a lot of berries on the bush right now. And I really hope that Twitter kind of writes itself. That way it allows me to go back to what I'm good at doing. Which is just taking over the Twitter conversation for big banks. I could talk about stories about banks. I could talk about personal experiences. And I can help people. And I can have conversations that a lot of people do not have about banking. But I need to be able to do it with all, without, without all this white noise around me of people complaining about why did big banks lend Elon Musk money? What's going on with Twitter? I'm leaving Twitter. I hate Bank of America for lending him this money. And it's just conversations that I just don't want to be a part of. I want I want that connection with followers. I want to gain followers. I want to be able to talk to as many people as possible. But I want to talk to them on my own terms. I don't want to just be a yes man and say, oh yeah, I agree with you 100% um, with everything that's going on. Because that's just not the way that it is. There are some things that I agree with you 100% on. And there's some things that I don't. Hating Bank of America because they lend a billionaire money. Okay, well, I understand why that's a good reason to not like them. And if they're not lending you money, well, that's a good reason not to like them too. But focus on your own battle. And don't focus on these things because it's just a lot of wasted energy. And that's kind of why I got out of you know politics and caring about who wins and who loses a few years ago because there's all this air that you're fighting with people that you don't give a shit about and just random people online that don't care about you yet you're wasting all this time energy and breath on these people for what for a, a political person that's never going to talk to you that's never going to change your lives you know and and that's the frustrating part of it and i gave i gave that up because it's just a lot of waste waste of space and then just saying, oh, I hate this billionaire because he's a billionaire and because he's taking my favorite you know, website, my favorite app, and turning it into this and that. Well, nothing lasts forever. 99% of businesses do not last beyond the third generation. Am I right? That's just life. You know, I go to my hometown of Socorro, New Mexico all the time, and I drive the main drag there, which is called California Street, and I see the Little Caesars, which took over the Taco Bell building, I see the KFC building now occupied by uh, a Mexican restaurant. There was a credit union right next to KFC that was a credit union, a bank, for a long time. And that became a sandwich shop. Then that became um, like a coffee shop. And that became a payday loan shop. Then I see a former Denny's become a bar and grill. I see the former Chinese restaurant become a, an American grill that went out of business. I see a Motel 6 become something called like the Hunter's Inn or something like that. And now it's just abandoned. You see the Shell gas station become Circle K. Things change. So whenever, you know, people say, well, I hate that Twitter's going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm one of those people complaining about it right now, too. I'm also aware that things don't last forever the same way. You have to adapt and to be able to survive. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Notorious Bankers. So... If you see me kind of sporadically on Twitter, there's a reason why. It's just I'm trying to find my footing. I'm, I'm still there to help people. I'm still there to be who I am. But I want to make sure I do it more effectively to, to not waste my time, not to waste your time, and to make sure that the Notorious Banker is there for the long haul. 
I'm going to outlast Twitter, by the way. I know Twitter might go away tomorrow. It might go 10 years from now. But I'm going to be here helping people as, as much as I can for as long as I can. And that's my commitment to you. That's my commitment to me. And it may not matter if this website exists or not anymore. But I can tell you one thing. I want it to stay because this is where I cut my teeth. This is where I made my mark in this world. And if Twitter goes away, then all the things that at Bank Better Guy and the Notorious Banker did on there will just kind of disappear into nothingness. So I want to make sure that if it sticks around, then I'm going to take every day, take not take every day for granted, and make sure I appreciate every time I log onto that website. We're going to talk about Wells Fargo's payday loan um, project coming out briefly after this brief promotional consideration. So please stick around. All right, and I'm back with more Notorious Banker. I briefly wanted to touch on this thing that I saw where Wells Fargo announced a new kind of loan. And this is from the Charlotte Observer, linked to in the show notes, that offers customers short-term cash for a flat fee, adding to a slowly growing list of cheaper, less risky financing options for cash-strapped customers. It's called a flex loan. It's a $250 or $500 digital-only loan that customers can apply for on their smartphone. And it comes with a flat fee or $12 to $20 respectively. Borrowers pay that amount back in four monthly installments with no interest. Wells Fargo is getting into the payday loan type of thing here. Bank of America has something called Balance Assist. And, you know, while I think it's a good idea in theory... I'm not a big fan of lending people money without a card attached to it, without a a physical part of that. And yes, I understand they used to do signature loans at banks back in the day. I get that. Um, You know, people had always asked, can I do a signature loan at the bank? And I told them, I can't do that. We offer credit cards, though, and people look at me like I'm weird. I just like the card tied to it. If you're going to go through all this this hassle to get $250 out where you have to do approved credit, and make sure you qualify in whatever manner that Wells Fargo has, then might as fucking well just have a credit card with a $5,000 limit. And I understand what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, I don't trust myself with that. Well, you got to learn to trust yourself, okay? Whenever someone says, I don't trust myself with that, that's that's loser talk. It really is, you know what I mean? And, and you know, I talk I talk about this all the time with my wife because, you know, I've, I've talked openly about me giving up drinking, me giving up gambling the last few years, and I love I love doing those things. I love that as a part of my life. But when I say, you know what, I just I don't want to drink anymore. It's twenty five dollars for a bottle. I don't really enjoy it. I get a headache after the first shot, and it just makes my next day miserable. I'm not productive, and that's just not who I am. That doesn't mean I'm gonna be the person that says, "Oh, don't drink around me." If I'm, I'm with my my in laws and they're all having beers and stuff, I'll be like, "Oh, I gotta get out of this situation." No, it's it's stupid. It, it's stupid, you know, it's it's saying that I can't handle this. And that's just that's just loser talk to me. And I know some people who maybe are addiction specialists are going to say, hey, what are you talking about, James? You're, you're wrong for thinking that. No, I'm, I feel that I'm right. Because, you know, making hiding from the problem doesn't make it go away. Okay, the monster's still going to be there after you put your head out of the covers. So what does this have to do with the $250 payday loan? It's basically saying, well, I need to borrow a little bit of money, but not a shit ton of money. Well, if you need to borrow $250, $250, I don't make a lot of money. $250 is a lot of money for me. But when I pay DirecTV, when I pay Verizon, when I pay the electric bill, my $250 evaporates like nothing. So it's really not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. So if you're going through all this trouble to have your credit pulled, to have the bank analyze your relationship for $250, which is $12, $20 bills and $110, what's the point? What's the point when you can have something that's a little bit bigger limit, has a little bit more options to deal with using it, including being attached to Visa, MasterCard, or whatever, and having a different level of support, earning rewards points or whatever, you don't get that with this type of flex loan, okay? And and it just seems like it's a lot of work for such a little gain for you, especially credit-wise. It's available in select markets now at Wells Fargo and launching in all states in the next couple of weeks, according to bank spokesperson Josh, Josh Dunn. 
Flex loans are available only to Wells Fargo customers. And see, that's the thing. Credit cards are available to whoever walks in and says, I want a credit card. Flex loans are only available to specific people. So it's already alienating a humongous chunk of the potential clientele at Wells Fargo. And it says the bank uses factors like account management practices, tenure, and balances to determine eligibility rather than using an independent credit bureau. Now, this is the shit that pisses me off, okay? Because if you're buying a house, guess what? A lot of factors determine eligibility, including balances. If you have money, you don't need to borrow money. So that's the thing with buying a house is, you know, they'll say, well, you're going to buy a $200,000 house and you got 5000 in the bank. Well, obviously you can't buy a house outright with the money in your account. But, and then you think about it for a second, you're like, well, the whole point of credit is to say, hey, I'm giving this person credit that they're going to pay us every single month. So why does balances determine eligibility on a $250 thing? Why do you need $250? And what balance above $250 is going to determine eligibility anyway? It almost seems like this loan is for, hey, I'm $20 short. Can you spot me, Wells Fargo, so I can pay my car note? It just doesn't make any sense. Tenure? Tenure means absolute shit to Bank of America. I could tell you that. Wells Fargo, you know, I, I was a customer there for a while. And I would look at the ATM every once in a while and say, oh, thank you for 17 years of being a customer. And I thought that was cool. I thought that was a nice touch. That mattered to me that at least I'm being acknowledged other than being one of 40 million customers. But tenure doesn't mean anything if you have great credit. If you have bad credit, does tenure matter more then? If you're like, well, this guy has shit credit, but he's been here 35 years. And he'll probably be here 35 more because he likes us. Does that factor in? Why should that factor in? You know, if if payday loans are given to people who have bad credit, well, those fuckers you can't trust with a 10-foot pole. So someone with good credit, good balances, good account management practices, it doesn't matter as long as you've been there a long time. That's why I don't like using these factors to determine it because it's not fair. It doesn't paint everyone with the same brush. Account management practices, I have absolutely no clue what that is. And it says it uses all that to determine eligibility rather than using an independent credit bureau. And I immediately asked this, will I get notated on my credit score that I have this loan and that I'm paying it off on time? If the answer is no, then what the fuck is it for? What's the point of it? Right? It doesn't make any sense. And understanding that Wells Fargo only makes $12 or $20 out of it, it doesn't tell me much about what's in it for them. Although, and and that's the thing too, it's a digital only loan. So if someone went into a branch and said, I want to take out that $250 loan, as a banker, you could say, well, what do you need it for? Are you having trouble with your car payment? Maybe we can refinance your car payment and lower it. That way you can save a little bit of money. That's the thing with this. The frustrating thing is we don't understand why they do it digital only because if someone needs to borrow a little bit of money, that's the perfect time for a banker to say, hey, maybe we could do something better for this person. I don't know. But if they're not reporting me to a credit bureau for this, why am I even taking it? And the Charlotte Observer says, this loan is meant to be a quick and simple way for customers to directly access funds when they most need them, the banks that in a news release, without applications, hidden fees, late charges, or interest. Again, if you need that, and your balances determine your eligibility, and you only need $250, you really need to take a look in the mirror at that point. The flex loan is similar to other small short-term loans that U.S. Bank or Charlotte-based Bank of America offer, sometimes marketed as a cheaper alternative to overdraft fees. While overdraft fees are almost non-existent at a lot of places now, so I don't understand that logic. Such loans also function as a good alternative to riskier methods of obtaining short-term cash, says Alex Horowitz, the lead consumer researcher at the Pew Charitable Trust. He's been tracking the way these small-time loans can help lower-income bank customers avoid turning to more harmful options like payday lenders charging triple-digit interest rates. Now, this is the only time I pushed back on this article here because it's in the Charlotte Observer, which, of course, is in North Carolina. North Carolina doesn't currently offer payday loans, so to be talking about payday loans in this story when payday loans are not an option in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's just very weird to me. I don't understand where the author of this story is going. In New Mexico, it matters because, yes, those harmful payday lenders 
are all over the place and charging way more than a bank ever would. So I would say absolutely, I would refer someone to this loan better than I ever would a payday loan because they're going to be paying hundreds if not thousands of dollars back for $500. It's ridiculous, and that's just the sad reality of a lot of people in this area. Um, Horowitz in this article says, Consumers have turned to options like payday lenders because they haven't been able to borrow small amounts from their bank. But these loans are faster, they cost at least 15 times less, and they're more affordable, so that's a win for consumers. But you got to understand the reason why um, these small amounts weren't available at banks for the longest time. As a salesperson, as a banker, they saw that kind of stuff as a waste of money. James, do you want to open this little $25 checking account for this customer? Or um, do you want to wait for the appointment in an hour where they're going to deposit 100000 The bank used to tell me to prioritize people. So whenever they're talking about the small amounts from the bank, of course it's digital only because it seems like the bank wants nothing to do with those people who are asking for a little tiny bit of chump change to make ends meet. And then finally in this, it talks more about the payday loan alternative. And I understand that part of it. My mom got into a really bad way with payday loans when I was a kid. And it was hard. And it made me realize that people in the finance industry are very fucking evil people for the most part. I wasn't, though. Um, and, and, of course, the author in here says payday lending is outlawed in North Carolina and half the states. But there are still a number of other risky high-interest financing options out there. Major bank small-dollar loans could help low-income customers avoid pawn shops or taking out small loans with five times the interest rate. And there's those internet loans, and those things are a fucking scam. But pawn shops, that's a good, that's a good point. You know, who goes to pawn shops? I'm just being honest here. Poor people go to pawn shops. So whenever you see someone pawning their stuff, well, guess what? That's the reality of a lot of people who are trying to make ends meet. They're like, well, I had a pretty nice TV, but I don't have it anymore because I had to pay the electric bill. It's bullshit. Um, Horowitz says, all states have pawn shops. All states have rent-to-own stores. Some customers overdraft their checking account repeatedly as a way to borrow small amounts of money. These no-loans are a more affordable option than that. The only problem that I have with the people who you know research this stuff is a lot of their talking points are old now. And here's the thing, I'm not defending banks by a long fucking shot, but overdraft fees are not as big a problem now as they were a year ago. Let's be honest here. I'm not giving banks credit because they stole billions of dollars from people over the years. However, it's not the way that it was when I was there. It's not the way that it was even two years ago, okay? And I'm acknowledging that. I'm, I'm, I'm owning up to that, that although banks are not nice people, they at least did this thing to kind of get people off their back for a while. And I'll give them that. Um, the author of this story mentioned the Bank of America launched a similar product called Balance Assist. It allows customers to borrow up to $500 for a $5 flat fee paid in three monthly installments. And it says these loans are relatively low-risk products for the banks. The bank is lending to known customers. Well, they don't really want to know them. There's a track record here. Even customers with low credit scores are successful in repaying when they can do so in affordable installments. And I'm not I'm not doubting that. I'm not saying that a lot of people are just going to ignore paying and just run off with $250 of Wells Fargo's money. That's not the point. And it's not the point that these are low-risk products for the bank. We understand that. Low-risk customers are things that I talked about all the time at my bank. And it wasn't a, hey, you know, we're going to take a loss on this person so we shouldn't do business with them. No, we're not going to make a lot of money with this person. But you know what's the right thing to do? Banks don't normally do the right thing to do. So whenever you sell it as, a, you know, it's low risk for banks. Banks don't want to waste their time. So the fact that they offer this is just pretty stunning to me. So I'm, I'm curious to see if this is going to last in the long term. And as banks are, you know, going away from overdraft fees and whatnot, I understand one thing. It's a different landscape out there. Banks are always looking for other ways to generate revenue. And what can I say? They're doing a good job of figuring out how to nickel and dime people 12 or $20 at a time with this Wells Fargo payday loan. But once again, as I mentioned, if, you're, if your goal is to help these people in need whenever they have low credit, whenever they only have limited options and they only need $250, as a banker, it's your duty to ask that person, is there anything more that we can do for you to help you in the long term? You're a financial advisor. You're not just a salesperson, fucker, okay? If you're in a, in a Wells Fargo location that's a very poor neighborhood, you are the only certified financial planner 
in their lives, okay? And you're not even really that, but you're the only person who can give advice about their money that's not their family or friends. And that's important. When you make this digital only, when you make it a flat fee, when you don't address the needs for long-term credit for your customers, I don't think that's a good product. So I don't recommend this product for a lot of people, although it is there. And I really hope that even though I don't like it, that it's there for the long term. That way people can see it integrated as part of the experience at Wells Fargo, not just this flash-in-the-pan product that we may try and we may do away with in a couple of years. So needless to say, I've been thinking about that a lot, and I'm just trying to look for the positives, and I really don't see it. I'm just seeing, hey, we're going to lend you a small amount of money, which makes me question why you need this small amount of money. Don't you think long-term that you're going to need just a little bit more in order to get by? Well, according to Wells Fargo, a lot of people can't do that, and that's why they're here. And like I said, I just, I just question why they even bother doing this type of stuff. But anyway, good luck to Wells Fargo with this. I don't think you're going to be successful, but you know what? If it helps at least a couple of people, it's all well worth a shot. I'll be right back after this brief promotional consideration with just a quick take about SBF and FTX. All right, everyone, I'm back. Now, as I mentioned, I'm not a big crypto person, but I am a big bullshit person. And what I mean by that is I can spot bullshit a mile away. And I've told you guys before, I'm not the biggest fan of of crypto and it's not because i didn't want to love it okay i wanted to understand why people thought so highly of it i wanted to be successful i wanted to make a million dollars i invested a little in it i made a little bit of money when i mean little i mean less than a hundred dollars and i just said it wasn't for me and it really wasn't for a lot of people but there's a lot of people who much like the 1.6 billion dollar powerball a couple weeks ago just decided that they can do it too as long as they just put a little paper in. So they invest a little bit of real money, get fake money in return. And whenever some kind of tumult happens in the financial world, they say, you know what, I want to take my money out because I don't know, something weird's going on. And then lo and behold, they paused withdrawals at FTX, meaning your money wasn't your money and they weren't going to let you have your money. And we found out in the coming days and weeks that SBF allegedly moved tens of billions of dollars away from FTX to his other company, Alameda something. And he was using it to basically fund his lifestyle, to buy properties, to do this and that. And that's just just horrible. It's, it's deplorable what this man did. And I hope he gets arrested. I hope he goes to prison for a very, very long time. It just seems like we always want to believe that people are in it for the right reasons. And his effective altruism thing, his thing about helping other people, that's all well and good. But you know what? I go donate like 50 pounds of cereal and breakfast foods to this local little pantry here down the road every week or so whenever I get my my contributions to the Notorious Banker Project. And, you know, I'm trying to help the world in the way that I can, which is couponing. People get some cereal, they have a good breakfast, they're able to eat, maybe they can start a day good get a good job, go to school, kick ass over there and whatnot. But, you know, I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm trying to change the world, so you got to listen to my financial advice. No, the financial advice that I give is just kind of there. Do with it what you will. But I'm here because I want to help people. And when I want to help people, I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever it takes to make sure I can do that. But when someone says, hey, yeah, I'm going to help all these people by donating to these causes, but I'm going to spend $30 million on a beachfront home in the Bahamas and $120 million on real estate for my friends and family as well, using potentially, purportedly, the money for hardworking customers that they didn't realize was out of their FTX account. It's just, it's just criminal, and that guy needs to go away for a long time. Now here's the thing, this aggressive stuff, this whole, hey, I'm going to put $1,000 into Dogecoin and maybe it'll turn into a million. Yes, there's people who made millions of dollars doing it. There's people who are driving Lamborghinis now because of these just lucky breaks that crypto and all this other stuff did for them. But results may vary. Fucking Slim Fast, fucking Jenny Craig told us that results may vary 30 years ago. When every chubby person in the 80s and 90s were drinking these nasty, god-awful fucking shakes, hoping to lose weight. 
myself included. Well, I wasn't until like the 2000s. Results may vary. The person that says, I lost 126 pounds using Ultra Slim Fast, that is not you. That is not the next person. Maybe after a thousand people, there's someone who lost something similar, but results may vary. So whenever you see a friend of a friend, or hey, I saw this guy online talking about he made $50,000 in 10 hours doing this, you got to understand that you're being sold. Do you want fries with that? Or hey, check out Dogecoin today. It's all the same thing. It's the sales pitch to get you to listen, to get you to verbally acknowledge, yes, I want to be a part of this. I want those fries. I want this cryptocurrency. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I didn't make as much money as this last guy. In fact, I'm losing money. What's going on? I'm going to withdraw. I can't withdraw my money. What's going on? I'm calling the press. (laughs) And I love the press. I love the media. I love the people who talk about financial things. On social media and in print and podcast form. And then there's this whole conversation about the victims of FTX and SBF, Sam Bankman Freed. What are these people going to do? They lost all their life savings. And I'm just thinking, why the fuck did you put your life savings in that? Because you're like, well, if I put 1000 in, I'll make $10 million. But if I put 20000 in, well, I'll make $200 million. And then I'll buy my first mansion in Cabo and then... I might buy a townhouse in New York City. I don't know. I'm going to ask my mom. (laughs) I don't have any sympathy for these people. Same reason you buy a lottery ticket. And you're like, I'm going to be a billionaire if I win. Well, guess what? The Powerball happened. I hit two numbers. I won $4. I was happy to get my $4 back. I didn't win almost $2 billion, though. So, I'm not going to go to the press and say, Oh, Powerball ripped me off again. I've been a loyal, a dedicated Powerball player for 27 years. And for the life of me, I don't understand why they didn't pick my numbers. And I asked for my money back, and they just refused to give me my money back. I just feel that I've been scammed. I've been wronged. This is criminal. And I'm just like, fuck, why are you talking like this? Why do you have to be that person, okay? I always I always talk about the people who who... Say, well, I never had a problem with Wells Fargo. I never had a problem with Bank of America for 30 years. I don't know what you're talking about. I say, that's fine. That's well. That's good. I'm really proud of you. And you're not supposed to have problems. But when you do, should you not have an expectation that the people who are there to, quote, help you are legitimately going to help you? Well, yes. Well, there you go. This cryptocurrency thing, there's a bunch of fine print may result in loss, all this stuff. It's not FDIC insured like a normal bank is. You scroll through all that stuff the same way you scroll through agree to terms when you're downloading an app on your iPhone. Do you really read it? You don't really read it, but you clicked agree, and now you're reneging on your word? You're the one that's saying that, hey, I want out, even though you agreed to terms? Yes, I understand you lost your money. Yes, it's bad, it's horrible. And the person who took that money... Should be in prison for a hundred years, in my opinion. In my opinion. But don't don't play the victim card when you didn't look at that stuff. We used to give people these deposit agreements at the bank whenever we'd open accounts, saying, "This is all your rights as a bank customer. This is what we do. This is how we do business, and this is what your rights are as a customer of this business." And when someone would come and say, "Well, you never told me this," or the bank doesn't say this in writing, whatever. Actually, yes, it does. In this deposit agreement, it says, this is why it's being held, this is why your money's not available, and so on and so forth. And it's it sucks to be the librarian there, but you can never lie and say, hey, this person didn't give me that information. Our job is to give you that information. FTX had all those disclaimers saying, results may vary, you know, may lose value, so on and so forth. I just hate when you lose, that's when you complain. Just like a certain governor candidate in Arizona. Just like a former 2020 presidential candidate. It's okay to take an L. You lost. Better luck next time. That's the American way. The true American spirit is, you know what? If things come crashing down, you pick yourself up and you try again. Not, oh, it's all rigged and I want my money back. I want, I demand, I demand, you know, retribution. Remuneration for all this stuff that's going on. And there's nothing going on. You decided to trust a company who 
who had shady, you know, <laughs> shady numbers at best that you couldn't see, that no one in the world can see, but you put their, your trust in them, you put your money in there, you try to play Mr. Wall Street Tycoon with this little bit of money that you got, thinking that you're going to be one of those cool people that talks on the internet about how they bought their first Lamborghini at 22 and their first house at 23, and then you lose all your money. And then you're going to complain saying, hey, I lost money. That's, that's not what you guys told me that it's going to happen. <laughs> well, they did. They told you it may lose value. you know, and, and it sucks to just be the person to point that out. But some people didn't read that. Some people thought that this was natural. That Bitcoin was at a tenth of a, tenth of a cent value many years ago. And then it was up to 60000 so there's people who could theoretically be instant billionaires based on those valuations, right? Absolutely. But much like age, how it just absorbs all this knowledge, and you start to cross names, and you start to cross experiences, and you start to become a senile old person, well, that thing where you know results may vary, someone who was rich off of crypto is burned in your brain. It's like, why didn't my story turn out the way that that guy's story turned out? Well, it's a long, complicated story. Mainly, number one is the person in FTX was committing fraud on you. And he's likely to go to prison because of that. It sucks to be the victim of this, and I'm sure there's millions of them. It sucks to not know if your money's ever going to come back. I understand and I feel for that. But don't say that you were misled. Don't say that you were duped. The dupe part you never knew about because no one would have told you unless the media told you. You give a company money and you know that you're going to invest. You know that you're going to play around with it because you wanted to. Because you saw other people do it. You saw your friends do it and you want to do it too. So you do this and that. And you invest in stuff. Things don't go your way. Now you're going to cry? Now you're going to cry? I used to have a friend. I used to play Madden football with him on the PlayStation 2. And he would kick my ass 80% of the time. Okay, I was not good at that. But every once in a while, I'd have a good day. I'd throw a bomb touchdown. I'd intercept one of his passes. I would just be on the ball, literally, and just kick ass. And we get to the fourth quarter, maybe it's 27-3. I'd intercept my fourth pass of the day. I'm running in for the touchdown. And my friend, my best friend, would like hit the dive button on my controller or reset the game or something like that. And they're like, I never reset the game any time that I lost against you. So why do you do it with me? Why can't you accept the fact that some things just don't work out your way sometimes? And I still think about that 20 years later. It just pisses me off. This FTX thing, billions of dollars are lost. Billions of dollars of value are lost. There's people who may have lost everything. And it's scary. It's terrifying. It's sad. But, you know, don't lie to me and say, Oh, yeah, I, I should be able to get my money out whenever I want. If your money was at $2 billion and you know you can make another $2 billion just, you know, having your money kick it in there, you were going to take your money out? I, I don't think so. I think you try to take your money out because of someone saying something online, which is also the same reason you got into that company in the first place. Someone said something online about how you can make a million dollars and you wanted to jump in on it. Well, you tried to jump in on it, and guess what? You lost. It's it's frustrating. And I'll talk more about this in a future podcast, but I'll, all i got to tell you is this. I understand how bad it is that people are going to lose billions of dollars. And according to a news article today, they only found $700 million of it. I mean, where's, where's the rest of the money at? Who knows? I don't know. But give me a break, man. Give me a break with this stuff. It's 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 been there. The people who complain about fiat currency and American dollars and Bitcoin is the future, saying that to banks, those tend to be the most annoying fucking people online. Trust me when I say that. Anyone who has the dot eth name on Twitter or or the the glowing eyes like Tom Brady did or the Doge Dog or whatever. You, you know that they're being suckered in to anything, just like if it was a, a political party, just like it was gang life if you're in an urban neighborhood, just like it's, uh, you know, 
you're at a wedding and you know you don't want to dance but everyone's dancing and someone says you got to dance with us and you're dancing that's what you were doing you were dancing with this company you made a decision that guess what you're a part of this company and now that they're gone and they're leaving you high and dry making up excuses saying i never wanted to do that no you did you really did and you know what you're paying the price for it just like a lot of other people so I really hope in the coming days, weeks, months, and years that people figure this out. But all I got to say is, whenever someone's trying to sales pitch you on crypto, someone's trying to tell you the benefits of this, it's the same way they're trying to tell you the benefits of Herbalife. It's the same way they're trying to tell you the benefits of today's Blue Plate special at the local diner. They're doing that because it's part of their job as a salesperson to sell you on this idea that yes, you too can be a very, very successful person like me, purportedly like me. But no, everyone wants to cry uncle after it's too late. You should have seen the writing on the wall when, when crypto was going down like crazy this fall. It was. But what do the Bitcoin people say? What do the ETH people say? What do the Doge people say? Oh, I'm going to buy the dip. Yeah, because they're always fucking salespeople. They're always trying to tell you that things are good when it's not. Things aren't good right now, and I highly recommend that you don't invest in crypto. But at the same time, I highly recommend that you do more research for the things that you get yourself into, rather than just hope that the person on the other end is kind of like a bank and will give you your money back whenever you ask. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And unfortunately, we had to see people lose billions of dollars to figure out it doesn't work that way. My name is James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker. Thank you for listening to this kind of train wreck podcast because my throat hurts. Um, at Notorious Banker on TikTok and Instagram, at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. You can follow me and all of my little projects at thenotoriousbanker.com. Also have a book calling coming out about Zelle coming soon to Amazon. I am the author, of course, of High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Coogler Bank of America, and it now available on Amazon as well. I sincerely appreciate you um, listening to this podcast. Thank you for all the people who knew that I was sick that gave me some warm thoughts. Um, so happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I'm posting this on Thanksgiving. And I just want to announce that I am taking notes while reading the Emily Flitter book as we speak. I plan on doing a podcast for every two chapters because I don't want them to be too crazy long. But I'm going to put my perspective on a lot of things that I read in there, including some of the things that I'm familiar with. So um, be on the lookout for that in a couple of days. I'm really going to try to get to those because I don't want to be slacking on that. But I really appreciate you listening to my rants about Elon, my social media incident, Wells Fargo payday loans, and of course this whole SBF, FTX, WTF, BS. Until we meet again or as breaking news warrants, my friends, my name is James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, signing off. Thank you so very much for listening to my podcast, and you have yourself a great day. Goodbye.